start our time together, we're going to do something a little different. I want to encourage all of you to stand. We're going to have the word read over us. Uh, So let's just stand for the reading of God's word. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, the ability to distinguish to speak in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. You're good, Maggie. Thank you, Maggie. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So that was 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and then 4 through 11, and we're going to kind of walk through some of the things that uh, Maggie read over us there from God's word. And um, before we jump in, I'm just curious, I wonder how many of you find yourself in situations I find myself in all the time, where you have a task that you need to do, but for some reason you feel like you're totally inadequate to do that task. It happens to me a lot. Maybe I just feel inadequate often. I don't know, but I just, I'll sit down to do a task. And I'm just talking about a normal everyday task. And I'll tell you the most recent experience I had in this was that my minivan, you guys thought I was going to be spiritual, didn't you? Nope, minivan. Minivan needed a new stereo. That was it. My minivan needed a new radio. The old one was broken. The CD player was jammed. And I had to figure out how to get that thing out. And so I got online and I started reading and everything I read said, hey, before you can take the stereo out, you got to pop the dash cover off the dashboard. And so I'm like, okay. So I had this little uh, multi-tool in my pocket, you know, one of those little ones that had this little screwdriver that's literally like this big. I'm like, yeah, I'll just use this. So I start trying to prop this uh, dashboard off of the cover of the dash and it won't do. And in about 30 minutes of being frustrated and saying some words that I wish I hadn't said, you know, and now my dash is scratched up. I'm like, well, maybe I'll try something different. So I went and got a longer screwdriver because everything that I read said I should just be able to pop this thing off. It should be really easy. So I'll go get a longer screwdriver. Same thing. Like I'm scratching up my dash. The thing's not popping off and I'm just getting really frustrated. So then I did what any reasonable DIYer does. I got on YouTube and I said, how to take the dash off of an 05 Honda Odyssey popped up. I got lots of different videos. And in every single video, the person taking the dash off had this amazing little tool Super simple, it was like this big, I think it was made of like fiberglass or some sort of carbon or whatever, really small. It was like a mini crowbar. And these guys that were taking it off on the videos there, I was like, yeah, you just use this little tool right here and and they just pulled the thing off in like one minute. And I'm like, what? So of course I had to go buy one of those tools and it was amazing. As soon as I had the right tool for the job, it was a piece of cake. I actually did it with Brent Baldwin. I was over at his house and he's like, that's a cool tool. I'm like, yeah, I wish I'd have known about it like a month ago. So we popped it off and it was really easy. We got it done. And you know, so often we have tasks before us and if we don't have the right tools to get the job done, we end up feeling frustrated in an incomplete task and usually inadequate to get the job done. You know, we're in this series right now where we're talking about what it means to be part of the family of God, belonging and becoming, being God's family. And we have looked at this idea that God is our father. He's a good father who's adopted us into his family. And we get to function as his kids, siblings together. We're not strangers that gather in a bar and sit on white chairs, but no, we're family. 
We are family. And then for the last two weeks, we've kind of been looking at the purpose of this family. So two weeks ago, we talked about being salt and light, preserving the world, bringing light into darkness. Uh, you know, I think a week ago, Dave got up here and he started talking about this idea that we are a royal priesthood, that all of us have this special identity as the royal priests of God, a chosen people set apart for the purpose of declaring the praises of God who's brought us from darkness into the light. And I think sometimes when we hear these sermons about our purpose, it's very easy to begin to feel like, wait a minute, how in the world am I supposed to do that? I, I, don't, I don't know how to be a priest. Like, I can put on a fake collar like Dave told me to, but that's not gonna do anything to equip me to figure out how to be a priest. Like, how do I do that? How do I live into this? And so often we hear this invitation to step into our purpose, and oftentimes we feel like we're trying to pop the dashboard off with a little multi-tool, and it just feels really frustrating. And the beauty of what we're gonna see today is that God has not just given us a purpose ethos, that God has given us a purpose, and he has given and he continues to give us every single thing that we need to live out that purpose. We saw this at the very beginning of the church, before the church was uh, even started. You go to Acts chapter one. If you don't know the story, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried and uh, dead, and he's risen back to life. He's meeting with his followers, and he, he tells them, he's like, hey, I've got a grand purpose for you. He's looking at this ragtag bunch of people, and he says, hey, listen, you guys are going to be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. You're going to go to the ends of the earth to tell people the good news about my death, burial, and resurrection. And you can imagine them standing there like, how are we going to do that? And Jesus says, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just wait right here. Just stay in Jerusalem. Keep praying. He says, because what's going to happen is the Father, the Father is going to give you a good gift. He's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living within these people. And he says, you're going to be strengthened with power when that gift comes. It's as if Jesus knew, hey, you guys, if you had to do this on your own, the world's in big trouble. Like, there's no way you're going to accomplish this. But man, let me tell you about my father, who's a great gift giver. He's going to give you his presence inside of you, which will equip you. And this is what happens when we step into the family of God. We receive the gift of God's spirit living within us. And it's as if our spiritual DNA gets shifted and suddenly we begin to walk or have the ability to walk in a new power that we never had before. This new power is the Holy Spirit living within us. And this new power gives us what the biblical writers call uh, spiritual gifts or gifts of the spirit. And this is what we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul starts this letter to these first century Christians and he says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. This is important to Paul. Like he wanted those Christians to understand spiritual gifts. But I'll tell you the reality of my life is that for much of my faith life and my faith journey, I was completely uninformed about the spiritual gifts. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea all these things that Maggie just read over us. I'd be like, I don't know what that is. Tongues, prophecy, like words of knowledge and wisdom and discerning spirits. This is just weird talk. Like, what do we do with this? And I have a feeling that many of you probably have felt uninformed. And this is why trying to live out the life of a royal priest in God's family sometimes feel frustrated. 
because we're left to try to do it on our own strength. But here's the thing, God has more for us. God has more. He's more for you, more for me, more for us. When it comes to operating, not just as the family of God, he wants us to operate as the gifted family of God. And so this morning, we're gonna talk specifically about some of the gifts. And I just wanna you know, give you a heads up. We're gonna talk about some of the more mysterious ones. The ones we don't always know what to do with, the ones that feel unfamiliar and kind of scary to us. And each of us is going to hear this through a different filter. And it's important that we know this for the sake of our family. Okay, we're brothers and sisters. And some of you are going to hear this message and it's going to scare you. Some of you are going to be excited. Some of you are going to be confused. And we need to understand that it's okay for all of us to be right where we are right now. We all have different starting points when it comes to understanding the gifts of the Spirit. Some of you grew up in church backgrounds where the gifts were never taught about. It's this kind of this confusing, mysterious thing that you'd read and be like, well, I don't know what that is. I'll just put that over here. Some of you probably grew up in backgrounds where the spiritual gifts were just this source of humor and kind of laughability, a way to poke fun at your crazy Pentecostal brothers and sisters and their over-the-top emotionalism. And I would say that's not a really safe place to be if we want to be a family, right? Some of you, though, grew up in a Christian background where, where the gifts were a normal thing that you talked about, and maybe it was done in a really healthy way. And you've actually been going, man, how come we never talk about this at Ethos? Like, how come we don't see these things in our church family? And then there are others of you that grew up in environments where the gifts were talked about all the time, but they were talked about in a really unhealthy way. Some of you probably experienced a lot of legalistic pressure, like, hey, if you don't have such and such spiritual gift, you're not a Christian. And you were made to feel guilty for that. Some of you have seen people abuse these gifts for the sake of their own glory and sake of their own power. And so here's what we need to know is that right now, the people sitting around you may be coming at this teaching from a very different place. And it's important for us as a family to have grace with one another. We all start at a different place, but here's the beauty of it. We all have the same destination. In about three weeks, I'm, I'm going to the beach with my family and I'm going with my wife and kids and then my brother and his family and my parents are gonna go and we're all three starting in very different places. Because Amy and I are starting in Nashville, we're gonna go down I-65 through Alabama and it's a bunch of back roads that I don't even know the names of until we end up somehow on this beautiful beach in the panhandle of Florida. And my family, because they live in Chattanooga, they're gonna take a much different route. They're gonna have to go down I-75 and kind of go through Georgia and they'll cut over eventually, go through Alabama at the bottom and then hit Florida. But the beautiful thing, even though our journeys look different, even though our starting place looks different, our goal is to get to the same place where we can be together as a family. Our goal is to be together as a family. And so let's have grace with each other for our starting points and grace with each other for what our journeys look like because our destination is understanding this, that our God our Father, in His grace and His goodness, He desires and He chooses to use each and every one of us for the purpose of building up, strengthening, and encouraging His church, and for the purpose of helping the world see the goodness of the love of Jesus. So that's our destination to get there. So we're gonna walk through some specific gifts. Today may feel more like a uh, teaching or almost like an informative session than an inspiring sermon. And that's kind of my goal. So I hope it feels that way for you. Before we start naming some of these specific gifts though, um, I wanna talk with you just a couple um, kind of prefaces about these gifts. It's really important that we hear this. And I'm just gonna breeze through these quickly. So if you wanna hear more, I preached a sermon on this very thing three years ago when we did a series on the Holy Spirit. That's online, you can go listen to that. 
We've also got two other brothers preaching on the gifts of the Spirit at Marathon in the Hillsborough Village. Listen to those this week for another perspective. We want to come at this from all directions as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But here's what you need to know before we start talking specifics. One, this is really simple. Uh, the gifts, uh, it's found, the essence of the gift is found in the name of the gifts themselves. So they are called gifts. And in the original language that Paul wrote in, he used this weird word in Greek called charismata. And charis, the root word for this, is the word grace in Greek. In other words, these things that we call spiritual gifts, they could be called grace gifts. And here's why this is important, because if you know anything about grace, when it comes to walking with Jesus, you know that grace is something that is completely unearned, something that is freely given. They have no reflection of your merit, no reflection of what you've earned or your level of spiritual um, elitism or anything like that. When you see someone with a gift, you know what you say? You go, wow, God is gracious. We don't say, wow, that person is really holy. We say, wow, God is gracious. The gifts are meant to help us put God on a pedestal, not put other Christians on a pedestal. So they're grace gifts. The second thing is this, is there's many gifts, but one giver. And so there's many gifts of one giver. If you read through 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see two different lists of these spiritual gifts. If you flip over to Romans 12, you'll read another list of these spiritual gifts. None of these lists are exhaustive or meant to be a menu where you're like, all right, I want that one and that one or that one. It's like, no, these are just examples of how God works in his family. All of them are. So there's many gifts, but the beautiful thing is that there's only one giver. And for Paul, you see, the gifts are important to him, not because of the gifts themselves, but because of the one to whom they point. You're going to hear this over and over again this morning. Every single one of these gifts is given for the sake of pointing all of us back to the goodness of God. That is why these gifts are given. Second, the third thing I want you to hear is that, so they're, they're grace gifts, many gifts, but one giver. And the third thing is that they're given for the common good. There's some overlap in these things. I'm sure you'll see that. We read this in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Paul said in verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, these gifts of the Spirit, they are given not for me to feel special or holy or better than man. They are given so that I can benefit the whole. When you receive a gift from the Spirit, it's given for the common good of the family. Paul uses this language of body. You know, he talks about how the body, no one part of the body thinks it's more important, but the whole body serves to make the body functional. And in the family, this is the role that the spiritual gifts plays. There is one giver, one giver, and he's the source of every good thing in our lives. The final thing about the spiritual gifts, they're grace gifts, want many gifts, but one giver. They're given for the common good. And the final thing is that, you know, they're kind of mysterious. Okay, let's just put that out on the table. They're kind of mysterious, which means that we're not going to be able to unpack them and explain them with complete rational logic the way that we like to do with most things. There's going to be some gray areas. There's going to be some confusion. And I'm going to tell you right now that I am no expert. I don't understand all of this. And every now and then I meet somebody who has an experience and I go, eh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. That's hard. There's going to be some skepticism in the room. That's okay. These are mysterious, but while they're mysterious, they're also very natural. I love this. You know, there's a good chance if you're walking with Jesus, you have experienced the gifts of the Spirit, and you may not have even known what it was. You know, you read through the list, and yeah, there's some weird words that we don't use that much in these lists, but there's also things like the gift of encouraging, the gift of service, 
gift of hospitality, of leadership, of generosity. You know, we see these things and we don't have much problem with them because we think, oh yeah, it's pretty normal. It's good that people can be generous. But in some ways we're giving ourselves a little too much credit there. Because the reality is when we become followers of Jesus, he begins to equip us to live out these kind of natural things in ways that we would never have done on our own. I am such a selfish person. I just am. It's so funny. Like, I, I, I mean, for years of my life, I didn't really care about the people around me that much, unless if caring about them made me look good, and then, <laughs> then I would do it. And you relate to that. But man, something happened when I started to walk with Jesus. I'd find myself sitting across from a person and talking to them, and I started to feel this weird thing, this like compassion thing, where I actually cared about this person. And I wanted the words that I spoke to actually encourage them. And I, I wanted to follow up with them and check in because I found myself caring in a new way. And what that was, was the gift of the spirit of encouragement and service beginning to work itself out in my heart for that person. And so I'm guessing most of us have experienced the gifts of the spirit. Maybe we just haven't known what to call them all the time. So some of them are mysterious and some of them are completely natural and we tend to forget that some of the most basic practices of Christianity are the result of the Spirit's work in us for the sake of one another to the glory of God. But I want to talk about some of the more mysterious gifts, okay? And I, I'm just going to tell you, I hesitated to do this. All of you are like, all right, just get there already. But I hesitated to do this because I don't want to draw attention to one gift over another. We need all of the gifts of the Spirit in our family, However, I think that there are some gifts, I really think God longs to give them to us ethos, but we don't, a lot of us don't know how to ask for them, and we don't even know how to recognize when they are given. I've talked with people that are experiencing gifts of the Spirit, and they didn't even know what it was, and they were kind of scared of it. But as I talk about these gifts, please remember, I am not trying to elevate one gift over another. In fact, kind of the theme for the way we want to talk about this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Um, so I'm gonna come back to that especially prophecy thing in a minute, but I want you to notice here is that what Paul says first and foremost, first and foremost, church, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. If you wanna know what that looks like, read 1 Corinthians 13. This is this chapter that we quote all the time and we actually, you know, people have it read in their weddings and stuff and the ironic thing is this had nothing to do with the wedding. This wasn't even talking about the love between a man and a woman. No, Paul starts talking about the radical love that is supposed to invade the people of God. Love is patient, love is kind, love is humble. All these things that you read in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is couching that conversation in the midst of a talk about spiritual gifts. And what he's saying is, listen, I want you to have spiritual gifts, but you better do it as you walk in the way of love. And so as we talk about these gifts, let's remember, church, that we are to be humble. We're doing this for the glory of God, for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And he says, eagerly desire them. When was the last time that you were eagerly desiring a gift of the Spirit? You were hungry for it. I think sometimes we're not eagerly desiring it because we don't even know how much we need them. But I promise you, when you start stepping in to this role as a royal priest, as salt and light, you're gonna come into situations where you go, oh God, I don't know what to do. And these are the places where God longs to give you the gifts of his spirit. So let's talk about the mysterious gifts. 
All right, I'm going to name a few of them. I don't understand all of these. I'm going to do my best to help make sense of some of them as we go. But let's start with what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 14. He says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. Now, a lot of us think, well, man, prophecy, this just, isn't that just something that they kind of did in the Bible? We don't really know what to do with that anymore. But I, wanna, I think there's a whole lumping of spiritual gifts that I'm going to lump together and just call them revelatory gifts, okay, or gifts of revelation, and um, prophecy is one of those. Now, I'll give you a great definition that I read. This was written by a brother in Christ. I read it this week. It was really helpful for me. He says, the gift of prophecy is the supernaturally imparted ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and speak God's mind or counsel. Prophecy ministers not only to the assembled group of believers, but also between individual believers and also to those in the world who need to know the love of Jesus. What a holistic, beautiful picture of prophecy. Now, this makes some people nervous because they start going, now, wait a minute. If we say that we have the ability to prophesy, are we not kind of saying that, you know, that this is, that we could do what the biblical writers did? I mean, because weren't they writing, hearing a revelation from God when they wrote the Bible and that's why we trusted it and it puts us on kind of shaky ground. But here's what we need to all understand is that this, this is our foundation. This is our baseline. This is what we measure everything off of, Okay. So prophecy is not this thing where anybody can come to you and go, hey, I got a word of the Lord for you, and they just get to start telling you what you need to do. That's not what prophecy is. No, prophecy is meant for the building up of the people, and anytime someone shares a word from you, because you'll hear this, you might have people that come up to you and say, hey, I, I think I have a word of knowledge or a word from the Lord for you, or uh, you need to hear that and go, okay, let me take that here, let me take that to my community to discern whether or not that's really from the Lord. Because I promise you, if something that is called a prophetic word clashes with what you read and hear, if it's calling you to step into sin, if it's calling you to step out of the family of God, then it's not from the Lord. We've got to base our understanding to interpret prophecies based on what we see in the word about who God is. We don't have to be afraid of it. No, actually, Paul says that we should eagerly desire it. Because as a family, we don't just exist for ourselves, but for one another. I love this. When Paul talks about prophecy in the gathering, he actually says that it's something that should be expected. Look in verse 29 of chapter 14. He says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. I love what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, when you come together, it's to be expected that there's going to be prophetic words. That there are going to be people that share and some of you are going, wait, what? Then why don't we do that here? And here's what I want you to see is that this whole gift of prophecy is so much more natural than you think it is because I think we imagine that prophecy means somebody getting up here and like having this, thus saith the Lord moment, you need to listen and obey. And it's so much more normal and natural than that. Prophecy, prophetic word happens every week here at Ethos. Here's what I love. Over the last like six weeks or so, I have just, it's given me so much joy to watch you, my family, come alive in ministering to one another. I don't know if you've noticed this, but for like the last six weeks at the end of the sermon, we say, hey, I want you to turn and pray for the people next to you and share what you're hearing in the sermon before you go to communion. It's been amazing. 
Like we say, do it. And I just love watching all of you just start doing it. You just all start turning and you're praying. I see people praying for one another. I see people sharing their hearts with one another. And I know that in the midst of that, the Lord is giving some of you prophetic words for the person you're praying for. It's that moment when you go, hey, have you ever read this verse? I think this speaks exactly to what you're going through. It's that moment when you go, hey, I don't know why, but I just keep thinking of this weird image. Does that mean anything to you? It's that moment when you listen and you share something from the heart of God for your brother or sister for the sake of strengthening, encouraging, and building one another up. This is what Paul says the purpose of prophecy is. Look in verse two and three of chapter 14. I shall start in verse three. He says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and for their comfort. So every time you're praying with a brother or sister and you, you thought you had a really good thing to share with them, I'm glad you shared it with them, but guess what? <laughs> that was God. He gave that to you for the sake of your brother or sister. Isn't that beautiful? Like that he chooses to use us to strengthen and encourage one another. But sometimes prophecy looks different than that. Sometimes prophecy happens up here in front to a big group of people. And we'll talk about that. You know, I think Paul mentioned several different types of revelatory gifts, prophecy. And another one of those, early in chapter 12, he talks about messages of wisdom and messages of knowledge. You'll hear a lot of people today call those words of knowledge or words of wisdom. Um, This is a, I believe, a type of prophecy. Some of you may have been taught those don't go together. And it's important to understand this. Like, this is not a manual on spiritual gifts, (laughs) Paul was not writing to give a guidebook. Otherwise, he probably would have been a lot more clear. So in some of this, we're all trying to figure out how it works together. But uh, I think words of knowledge are are a type of prophecy. And so here's what I mean by words of knowledge. A word of knowledge is this type of revelatory gift or prophecy where you have an awareness of something that you shouldn't know about. Something from the past or something presently happening in someone's life, and suddenly you just know it about them. And You're not sure why you know it, but you just know it to be true. We see this in scripture a lot. Jesus used words of knowledge quite a bit. So in John chapter one, Jesus meets Philip and he says something about Philip and Philip's like, how'd you know that about me? And Jesus is like, well, I saw you sitting under the fig tree yesterday. And Philip's like, how did you know I sat under a fig tree? He's like blown away that Jesus knew this thing about him from the day before. And it gave him confidence in trusting who Jesus was. Same thing, John chapter four. Jesus is at a well in Samaria and he's talking with this woman. And he says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you've, you've had five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. And her mind is blown. And what does she say immediately? You know what she says, she says, I can see that you are a prophet. She recognized prophecy in Jesus. And look at what happened with her. She runs back to the village and the whole village comes out to see Jesus and people start giving their lives to the Lord like crazy prophecy used to build up the body. We see it also in the early church. Do you remember what Jesus told his followers? He said, hey, you've seen some cool things through the Holy Spirit. This is my paraphrase. You've seen some cool things through the Holy Spirit. But he said word for word, he said, but you will do even greater things than these. You believe that? Jesus received words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit and he looks at his people. He says, you're going to do even greater things than these. So this is why we see things like in Acts chapter 10 where Peter is is praying on a roof and the Lord tells him, hey, Peter, there's about to be a knock at the door. A couple of guys are looking for you. You need to go with them. And on the other end of that, there's this guy named Cornelius who's not even a Christian yet. And God comes to him and says, hey, Cornelius, I have some things I want to tell you. You need to go to the home of Simon the Tanner on the shore. Look for a guy named Peter. He'll come back and tell you what you need to know. 
And I think sometimes we read those verses and we imagine that it's like this some sort of out-of-body experience where Peter's like levitating on a roof and he's going, oh, these amazing images. But no, listen, Peter was just a dude. Peter was a dude. He was a guy. He was a man, just like you and me. He was a person. But Peter was a person who'd been filled with the Spirit of God. Peter just went up on the roof to pray. And God began to show him what he wanted him to know out of the good grace of who God is, not out of who Peter was. So Peter gets this word of knowledge and then he goes with these men and we see the first Gentiles become Christians in Acts chapter 10. It's this beautiful place where God uses the gifts of the spirit to build up his body to the glory of his name. Now, but what about today? You know, some of you would be surprised to know that um, words of knowledge, these kind of prophetic and revelatory gifts, they actually happen at Ethos quite often. In fact, three weeks ago it happened right here and probably didn't even know, but I was over at the Respond Banner and uh, it was after worship. We were praying and worshiping and stuff. And Katie uh, Shinnick comes up to me during um, worship. She's uh, prays with our Respond team and her husband's will that leads worship up here. And she says, hey, I think I have this word for somebody or several people in our church. And I said, okay, share it with me. And she said, I just have this image that there's somebody, at least one person, maybe more in our church, that they feel like they are on their face in the dirt trying to drag themselves back to God and they can't even lift their head to look at him. And God wants them to know that he's right there ready to lift their eyes so that they can see him. I was like, wow, that's beautiful. I said, why don't you go share that? So some of you didn't even know it, but right as worship ended, uh, either me or Dave used to get up here and pray. Well, Katie came up and she prayed. And in the middle of that prayer, she said, I think there's someone in the room and she kind of told of that image and then she finished the prayer. It was the most normal and natural thing. There was nothing weird or scary about it. And then she finished her prayer. But here's what was amazing. Is that on Wednesday of that week, Katie comes up to me and she says, hey, look at this text message that I got. And it was from a woman in our church. You may be sitting here right now. I don't know who it was. It was a woman in our church. And she said, she said, hey, Katie, that thing you shared, when you got up there to share that, I've been crying in worship because I felt like I wanted to see God, but I was face down in the dirt out of my unworthiness and I couldn't lift my eyes to look at it. And I'm like, wow. God used Katie to speak to that woman that she didn't even know that was going on. She gave Katie this awareness to encourage our sister who was then able to lift her eyes and see the Father. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? These are words of knowledge. I'll tell you one other story of a word of knowledge. I got lots of stories this morning. I'm sorry, just bear with me. I just want this to feel alive and real to us. Only time I've ever experienced a word of knowledge, uh, it's a, I, I don't experience this very often. It feels weird to me to even talk about it. But there was this time, first time I went to Uganda, I was there to train pastors. And I remember the, the day, uh, the night before the pastor training was supposed to begin, I'm sitting in my room and I'm praying. I'm like, God, I, you made a mistake. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I've never met a Ugandan pastor. <laughs> I don't know how to speak a choli, the language they speak. And I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And as I'm sitting there praying and pouring my heart out and saying, God, please help me, please help me, please help me. I'm doing this. And I started, you know, that thing where your eyes are closed and you start to see something in your mind. Some of you just experienced that. These images come to your mind, you know, and we often think that's just our imagination and we try to get rid of it while we pray. But in this moment, I felt like God was saying, no, pay attention to what I'm about to show you. And I just saw this man. He was a Ugandan man. He was wearing a white shirt that had like some blue and white stripes on it and a collar that had these blue diamonds on it. And I remember like, this is weird. Like, why, <laughs> what is that? Am I imagining things? Like, what's going on? But I felt like I was saying, no, write it down. So I wrote it down in my journal. 
And so the next day we go to the pastor training conference and I finished the first portion of teaching and they did this thing where they all stand up and they kind of walk out single file and they say thank you to the teacher. And so I'm standing there saying hi to each one of these like 140 pastors as they walk by me. And suddenly I look down the line and I see this dude in a white shirt. Guess what he was wearing? White shirt, blue stripes. He gets closer to me and there's this blue collar with these white diamonds going around. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? What? Like, I couldn't believe it. I wanted to go hug the dude, but that would have been a little weird. So I went over and I got my journal and I opened up and Jana, who some of you know, was there with me. And I said, Jana, read this, read this. And she read it and I was like, now look at that guy's shirt. She goes, oh my goodness. I was like, what do I do with this? She's like, I don't know, but it's awesome. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I prayed about it and I went and got my, my translator, James, that we've prayed for in here. And I went over and I got this brother and I, I said, James, I need you to translate for me. And so I share with this guy this image and I show him where I wrote it in my journal and the dude's like totally expressionless. He's just like, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And then he walks away and I'm like, what was that? So I asked James, I'm like, James, was that, I mean, was that encouraging? He goes, oh yes, he was greatly encouraged. And I was like, all right, yes, that's a cultural thing. I don't understand, but that was pretty cool. It encouraged me. It encouraged my brother. It encouraged James. It encouraged Jana. For some reason, the Lord chose to give me a word of knowledge. I should not have known that that man was going to be there. And yet, for some reason, I did. For the purpose of strengthening, encouraging, and building up the body and pointing to God and giving him glory. And this other, other kind of revelatory gift is, is sometimes hard to distinguish between words of knowledge and the other one, which is words of wisdom or messages of wisdom. Um, a word of knowledge is often when you know something that you shouldn't know, and a word of wisdom is, it's just what it sounds like. You're suddenly given wisdom into a specific situation to be able to help someone navigate something that is potentially difficult. Now, this one's really important that you hear this because a message of wisdom is not given so that you feel like you're really wise. A message of wisdom is given for the benefit of another, and it should always be discerned in the context of community. So if you're praying with someone and Sometimes it's preceded by a word of knowledge and you're like, wow, they shouldn't have known that. And then they give you a word of wisdom. You'll be real tempted to go, well, they knew this about me, so that has to be true. Well, no, you discern this in community. Remember, you bring it to the word. Does their wisdom line up with the wisdom of the word? Uh, you bring it to other brothers and sisters. You pray about it. You ask God for guidance. But words of wisdom, uh, I promise you, these things happen all the time at Ethos. I see it every week over here at the Respond Banner. I hear my brothers and sisters praying with other brothers and sisters and they'll be praying for them and they're sharing something painful in their life. And as they're praying, suddenly they receive wisdom from the word and they'll go, hey, I just thought of this Bible passage. Have you read that yet? Word of wisdom. Hey, I think this applies to your situation. I haven't thought about this verse in a while, but that's a word of wisdom. Or, hey, I'm really concerned about the direction this is going. I think you should bring this to community and talk to other people before you take any next steps. Word of wisdom. So words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, all revelatory gifts. And the final revelatory gift, I don't even know what to call it, but it's, it's when God uses a prophecy to speak about something that has not happened yet. And this is what most of us think of when we think of prophecy. We think of prophe prophecy as like futuristic, like fortune telling. Prophecy is not meant to be a party trick where you can say, hey, I know what's going to happen tomorrow and then kind of say it. No, that's not what the purpose is, Right. It's not, it's not necessarily something you always choose to do. It's something that is revealed to you from God. And um, I've seen this very specifically in my life, only one time uh, where someone spoke something uh, about the future, I guess two, two different times, something about the future. Um, one of them was very specific. I, I was living in Vancouver as a church planner and I felt like God was calling me to make a decision. You see, I was, I was wearing two hats. I had a private practice as a marriage and family therapist 
and I was trying to help plant a church and it was really heavy to try to do both. And I kept sensing that God was saying, Aaron, I want you to give up one. And I didn't feel I had any clarity on which one to give up. So I remember I went to this prayer ministry that a friend told me about where he said, sometimes they hear from the Lord. So I was like, all right, that's weird. I don't know what that means, but I'll give it a shot. So I went, I met with these two strangers that I'd never met before. And I, because I'm a skeptic, intentionally held my cards really close to my chest. (laughs) And I just said, hey, I got a big decision to make. That's all you get. Will you pray for me? (laughs) And I remember they start praying and At first, it was just kind of, you know, your normal prayer, God give him wisdom, God guide him, God direct him, all these things. And then suddenly there was an older gentleman and a woman and the older gentleman, he kind of pauses and he says, hey, I think I have a word for you that normally I get this kind of word and I'm supposed to share it in tongues, which that weirded me out when we'll talk about tongues in a minute. And so I just said, okay, but he said, but I'm supposed to give it to you in English. And he starts sharing this thing with me. And the only thing you need to really know about what he said was he said, hey, there's coming a time very soon when God is gonna call you to let go of your own devices and to trust in him for all of your provisions. And he said, and God's gonna show you a specific date of when that's supposed to happen. And I walked out and I'm like, okay, let go of my own devices. I've trained to be a therapist. I don't, I haven't trained to be a church planner. There's no money in church planning. I don't know if you know that or not. Like (laughs) you don't make a lot of money. I had a good job as a therapist and I'm supposed to let go of my own devices and trust in God to provide and there's gonna be a specific date. And I'm like, what is the specific date? How could this possibly be true? And about six months later, I find out that my visa status in Canada is gonna change and I'm no longer going to be able to permit to work as a therapist in the country of Canada. And that the only visa that I could qualify for was this visa called a clergy permit. And the only thing I'm allowed to do with a clergy permit is work as a pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? February 21st, 2010, that was the date. He said, and there's gonna be a specific date and you're gonna know. I'm like, wow, that guy, he was not a psychic. He was not a genie. He was a normal brother in Jesus who heard from the Lord and had confidence and courage to share what he heard. And here's the thing, sometimes you'll have confidence and courage to share and you'll be wrong. And that's okay sometimes, as long as you are humble in the way that you share it. See, this whole thing has to be marked by humility in the way that we give to one another. So some of you are going, oh, I hear stuff all the time. Well, let me just say, if you hear stuff all the time, messages, images, visions, dreams, you need to be careful how you share it. You need to ask the Lord when you need to share it. And when you do share it, you need to say, hey, uh, I I got this thing to share with you. I think it might be from God. Can I share it? Let's let's discern it together. I, 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 for some reason, I see images when I pray with people a lot. And so here's what I do. I'll say, hey, here's this image I saw. Does that mean anything to you? And oftentimes they'll go, no. And I'll go, all right, well, that was just my dinner from last night. I kind of coming back up and I don't don't know. I don't know what that was, but, but man, when they go, when they go, yes. How did you know that? I go, that's a grace gift. That's a freely given gift from God, has nothing to do with me. So you see how this works, humbly with one another. Now let's talk about this thing about speaking in tongues. Because this has been something that has been, I think, misunderstood, misused, it has hurt people. Um, And so I think there's two different types of speaking in tongues that we see in the New Testament. The first one is the first evidence of it that we see is on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. And what's amazing is that there are people in Jerusalem from 13 different countries, all speaking different languages. And that's what you can read all those countries in the book of Acts. And yet the disciples stand up and they start to preach about the gospel of Jesus. And it says that everyone there understands the message in their own language. Wow, that's so cool. I mean, that is awesome. Can you imagine that? If you had a room full of people from all over the world and God commissions followers of Jesus to stand up and start preaching the grace of Jesus and everyone in the room understands it in their own language and that day 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. It's this amazing moment. 
in the history of the church. Now, some people are tempted to say, well, that was for a specific purpose that doesn't happen anymore, but I, experience just doesn't line up with that. And you have to do a lot of biblical gymnastics to try to come to this understanding that these gifts never happen anymore. I have a friend who went to Guatemala on a medical mission trip. She's a nurse. She didn't speak any Spanish. <laughs> and she's in there, she's doing surgery and the surgeon is Spanish, or he's, he's, he speaks Spanish. And she doesn't understand anything she's saying. She said it was the weirdest thing. Right in the middle of surgery, I started to understand what he was saying to me and I was able to speak to him for the sake of the task that God had put before us. Now, some of you are going, I don't know if that's true. And I get that. I totally understand that. I, if, it's crazy. It's a grace gift. It's God Almighty equipping his people to do the tasks that he's put before them. It's amazing. After that surgery, she couldn't speak Spanish at all. It went away. It's pretty wild, huh? But see, there's this other type of tongues that I believe Paul writes about a lot, especially in 1 Corinthians, that is not just speaking in other earthly languages for people to understand. So we're going to look at a couple of verses real quick, and I'll tell you some about this, this gift. So in uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 2, look at what he says. He says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries in the spirit. So the first thing we need to see is that Paul looks at this gift of speaking in tongues and he talks about it as though it's something that happens between man and people. It's this prayer thing. There's something happening between a person and God that is mysterious that the people around them don't understand what's happening. Look in verse 14. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. In other words, Paul doesn't say, hey, when you pray in a tongue and you, nobody understands it, stop it, that's wrong, never do that again. No, he says, he says actually, when you pray in, in the spirit, when you pray in tongues, then you're praying with your spirit. And, and it's crazy what he says, because in verse five, he says, listen, Look at verse five. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Did you know that? You know that the Apostle Paul, this dude who wrote more than half of the New Testament, he says, man, I would love it if all of you followers of Jesus would pray in tongues and speak in tongues. Man, this, that's different, huh? He says, I'd rather you prophesy because prophecy is used for the betterment of everyone that everyone can hear it, but there's something special that happens when you pray in the spirit, when you pray in tongues. Verse four tells us that it edifies the one who is speaking. Now, here's what you need to hear in this is that for Paul, tongues was not this weird thing nobody talked about. It was this place that was this gift that was very special that we needed to understand how to use it properly. And, and, and I love this. You look in verse six, look what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring a revelation, knowledge, prophecy, word of instruction? Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may be able to interpret what they say. So Paul doesn't say, hey, don't do this, don't do this. He says, no, I wish that everybody did it. Make sure that you're leaning into the gifts that edify everyone. Don't just take over this one that edifies you, that is between you and God, but make sure you have all the ones that edify everyone. He calls it a really good thing. And he says, if you want to do it in a way that edifies the body, make sure you have an interpretation. And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, there's a gift for that. In chapter 12, there's this gift of interpretation so that people can interpret what you're saying for the betterment of the body. Now, I'm probably, for a long time, was in the same position that many of you are sitting in right now where I heard of speaking in tongues and I could give you 30 reasons why that doesn't happen anymore. 
And whenever I did experience it, it kind of made me uncomfortable and frustrated. I remember being in Oregon ministering to a homeless teenager with a woman that was a part of the organization I was with and she starts praying in tongues for this teenager. She never offered an interpretation. The teenager's looking at her like, what are you doing, you know? And it was like, I mean, I think she intended well, but I think it just offered more confusion and it put kind of a further wedge in my heart against this gift. And then about a year and a half later, I went to this gathering in Vancouver, about 3,000 people gathered for this thing called Missions Fest, and a woman named Jackie Pollinger was one of the keynote speakers. If you don't know who Jackie Pollinger is, man, look up her story. Incredible woman of God. She gets up on the stage, and she's got three other people with her. She's a church planner in Hong Kong, and the people that are with her are all Asian, and they circle around a microphone much like this one, and they're all kind of circled around it, and it gets really quiet. 3,000 people in the room, and nobody's talking, and one at a time, they all kind of bow their head and then one of them would step up to the microphone and they would start speaking. And I remember going, that's not English. Is that Mandarin? No, that's, that's not, what is that? And I went, oh, oh man, they're speaking in tongues. Like I started to get kind of mad about it, you know? And they would speak and then they would step back and they would all bow their heads. And then another person would step up and they would begin to interpret what the previous person had said. And every single time, it was this beautiful call to the people of God to lift our eyes and look at Jesus. It sounded like they were reading something straight out of Psalms. And it was meant to capture the hearts of the people that were listening to prepare us for the message that Jackie had for us that day. And they did this for like five to 10 minutes. One would speak in tongues, the next would interpret. And I remember going that day like, okay, wow, that was amazing. That was really cool. Never seen that before. It's orderly, it makes sense. It lines up with 1 Corinthians 14 where there's an interpretation. But I still wasn't sure if that was for me. And then what I'm about to share makes me squirm to share because I don't talk about this. I just don't. It's not, it's, it's not always beneficial. But then God began to reveal this gift in me. And it was this prayer, this thing between me and God where I would be praying and I would not know how to pray or what to pray. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 8. He says, the spirit intercedes for you with utterances that you can't understand. And I began to pray and what I didn't even know what it was and I was kind of embarrassed by it. I shared it with a few close friends and I was like, I don't think I should do that anymore. I don't know if I, that's selfish. And they're like, look, read the word. They took me to the word and they showed me, no, there it is. And so for years, this is something that has just been between me and God. And then it started, I started realizing that it started to creep its way into the way that I would minister for others. And I would be praying for someone and I would have this sense that I don't need to keep just saying words out loud. I need to listen for the Lord. And so I'd say, hey, is it okay if we just listen for a minute? And the person will say, yeah. And then I will very quietly, they don't even hear me doing it. I'll just start to pray in this spiritual language that I think the Lord has given me. And I'll listen. And then I'll share things with them. And I'm, I'm nervous to share it because my family doesn't even know this about me, guys. Like my, my mom and dad, mom and dad, if you listen to the podcast, hey, guess what? <laughs> um, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> But I'm putting it out here because I love you. You're my family. And I think God has good gifts for us. They're good. But we need to know that it's okay to receive them. And about a year ago, I'm praying with a brother and I'm praying quietly in the spirit. And I felt like the Lord said, Aaron, I want you to pray this out loud. And I'm like, no, God, I don't want to do that. And he said, no, I want you to pray out loud. And so I told my brother that I trust. He goes to this church. I said, hey, I need, to, I need to do this. I'm sorry if it's weird. And so I started to do it. And he was like, it's okay, it's okay. So I started to pray out loud in the spirit, praying in tongues. And I felt so uncomfortable. I'm like squirming, like, oh, I'm doing it. And then I stopped and then I started praying in English again. And afterwards he asked me, he said, Aaron, why, why don't you do that? Like, why don't you do that out loud? I said, well, look right here. It says right here that if you're gonna do that, you need to offer an interpretation. He gave me this puzzled look. He says, you did give me an interpretation. I gave him a puzzled look. I'm like, I did? And he says, yeah, you, 
you, immediately after you did that, you started giving this image of my heart and where God is and how he's working in me and through me. And I, and I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, it's so much more natural than we think it is. It just happens. See, when God begins to pour out his spirit on us, he longs to give us gifts to minister to one another for the betterment of his body, to the glory of his name, for the sake of the world around us. And I don't have a neat way to tie this up this morning. Here's what I want us to do. I want to ask you, have you been eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts? And I know that right now, like I said, all of us are in different places right now, and I want us to connect on that as a family. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do what we've been doing. I'm going to give you a chance to turn and talk with the people around you and pray for one another. And let me just name a few things. There are probably some of you in here that are kind of afraid by this because what you grew up with, this does not line up, and you're like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, and that's okay. It's okay. There's some of you that are confused a little bit by this, and that's okay. It's okay. Man, God is so gracious. He's so good. He's so kind. There are some of you who have received gifts, and you don't know what to do with them. There are some of you that have received words, and you haven't known how to, how to steward those, and if that's where you are, share that. If you're confused, share that. If you're afraid, share that. Let's share with one another. Some of you, and hear this gently but strongly at the same time, if there's such a thing, it looks like some of you have been pursuing gifts and you've made an idol out of the spiritual gifts. And you've pursued the gifts more than you've pursued the giver of the gift and you need to repent of that. Because those gifts are meant to draw you to the giver, not so that you can have a special gift. And so if that's where you are, share that. And people, let's be gracious with one another as we share. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to move into a time of just kind of fluid. We're going to pray for one another, minister to one another. We're going to commune. Because remember, in all of this, these gifts come when we abide in Jesus. And so we've got communion, the bread and the cup set up all around the room. So as you talk with one another, as you pray with one another, whenever you're ready, you can get up and go get communion and remind each other that these gifts come as we abide in Jesus, the good giver of all the gifts. And the band will come up here at some point and they'll start leading us. There's no set structure for how this has to happen. I just want you connecting with one another. Share your hearts with each other and then pray for one another and let's eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Let's pray for each other that God will give us everything that we need so we can build one another up and we can show the city around us the radical love of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I love you. So grateful for the gifts that you give because God, they remind us of just how good you are that God, you'll let an ordinary person play a significant role in the life of your church. I'm grateful. I'm grateful, God. I'm an ordinary, very ordinary person. And yet for whatever reason, you've given me your grace at different times and different ways. God, I'm grateful because this room is full of ordinary people. And you, out of your goodness and your kindness, you equip us to do the ministry that you've called us to. Father, right now in this time of worship and communion and prayer and ministry, would you just equip us? Man, pour out your spirit on us, Father. We long for the gifts. We eagerly desire them, but not because we want to feel good about ourselves, because God, we want to give you glory. May your name be glorified, Father. Come into this space and minister to us now. In the name of Jesus, amen.